a beautiful day, but it's a day in which our air conditioning is not totally working well. And so um, I'd love to introduce you to our uh, series uh, sheet of paper there that talks about our series in James, Mercy Triumphs. And the cool thing about it is it works really well as a fan. And I can see a few of you have already discovered it. Let's just go old school church in here and just fan it up, fan it up. Um, When I was in high school, my friends and I used to have these epic philosophical, theological conversations about life and the universe and everything. Um, It seemed really epic to us because we were in high school and everything seems epic back then. But I remember one really deep, important question that we wrestled with. It was this one. What would Jesus drive? What would Jesus drive? Yes, it was deep and epic. Um, It was a question that like everybody was asking back then, Uh, you know, the WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus drive? <laughs> Sorry, that was a terrible joke. Um, but people wanted to know, right? right? Um, so we were arguing about this. And some of us were, were arguing for biodiesel car or a hybrid, others for an electric car. I was making a very convincing case that Jesus would have ridden a bicycle and someone else was, was arguing for a Volkswagen bus. Um, but then another friend just said, you know, Jesus was a carpenter, right? I was like, yeah. He said, I mean, maybe he'd just drive a work truck. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. And that, and that settled it. It was this epic conversation, like I was saying. But I started picturing Jesus in that way, driving this old Chevy work truck um, with a ladder in the back and some tools well cared for and all strapped down just so because Jesus loves his neighbor and doesn't want things flying out of the back of his truck onto their car. And just thinking about it in that way brought flesh and reality to this story in some way. And and since then, I've never quite looked at work trucks in the same way anymore, or the people who are driving them, who are often working long hours, long before I've woken up or ended my work day. Because the face of Christ, the presence of God, can show up in some unexpected places. We've all got those questions about, like, this Jesus thing. You know, what would Jesus drive? Um, What kind of jokes would Jesus laugh at? What sort of beard oil would Jesus use? Um, Olive oil is the correct answer to that one. We know that one. You know, what would Jesus think of Jesus followers today? Where would we find Jesus in our world? What would Jesus be up to? These are important seeking questions. They help us sort of take the Jesus way and ask how it fits into our world today. And so these are important questions, but sometimes I think when I'm asking the question that really, truly, deep down, I know the answer to it. And just asking the question maybe sometimes is a way of me avoiding having to live out the answer in my life. So what would Jesus be up to in our world today? Well, the same things that Jesus was up to in his world. When he began his ministry, he read from Isaiah chapter 61 that was kind of this declaration of who he was and what he was about, declaring the character of his mission. And this is what it says. Toward the beginning of his ministry, he unrolled a scroll and found the place where it is written from Isaiah 61. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year, the epoch of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus was up to and and what God, who calls God's self the defender of the weak, protector of the vulnerable, the father to the fatherless, 
the protector of the widow and the orphan and the poor and the stranger, what God has always been up to. God is a God who hears the hurting and moves toward the margins. That's who God is. And so where would Jesus be in our world? Jesus would be with the outcast and the vulnerable. He would be available to all people, of course, but especially to those who felt like or had been told that the love of God was closed to them. God moves toward the margins. God moves toward the messes. God moves toward the misunderstood, the overlooked, the vulnerable, and the seeking. And if we want to follow God, that's the direction that God is headed. That's challenging to my life and to my complacency, and it should be. Um, But it's also comforting to me because there's places in me that are a little messy. Those margins in my life, those vulnerable spots where I don't feel worthy, where maybe life and kids aren't perfect and I'm even less so. But in those same ways, in those same places that I feel disqualified, God moves toward me with unqualified love and invites me to move with God into our world. God moves toward the margins. God moves toward the messes and the marginalized and the misunderstood. Toward the cafeteria table where kids are sitting alone in the midst of a great crowd. Toward those places and those people in our workplace who get passed by. Toward the unseen servants in our world. Toward those who feel like God is closed to them. God moves with open arms and open hearts of love. And so if we want to follow God, that's the direction that God is headed. Probably in a work truck, I imagine. So James, the author of the book that we're reading this summer, uh, looks at all of this. He was the brother of Jesus. He was a leader in the early church. And so he looks at who God is and who Jesus was and what he was about. And he lays out succinctly this for us in this section of Scripture that we're looking at today. And so in, in James chapter 1, verse 27, James says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And James drops the mic, boom. People evaluate faith and religion in all kinds of ways, but here is the quintessence. Does your practice, does your faith practice care for the widows and the orphan in their need? And widow and orphan was shorthand for all the vulnerable classes in those days, and it is for us as well. Does your practice care for the vulnerable, and does your practice seek to keep ourselves unblemished amidst a self-centered world? Which for James and the rest of the book, that unblemished idea was the ethic of Christ, the unblemished lamb. And so do you care for the vulnerable? Do you seek to live and to love like Christ? This is the path of pure, true religion, he says. And it's so incredibly important and restorative and healing for us to hear this from our text. Because for many of us, the most challenging thing to us on our faith journey is when we've seen the church fail to be like Christ, fail to love the vulnerable, fail to move toward the hurting even when it has been a party to marginalization, building barriers and not bridges between people. And that's not the true way of God. Scripture tells us over and 
over, and that is good news. And so this, although this text is incredibly challenging to me, it's also beautiful because we've been longing for a faith that expresses itself in real, radical, life-changing, transformative love, haven't we? That protects the vulnerable, that stands out as different than this world, that doesn't just prop up the dominant culture, but welcomes all, and especially clearly, those who feel unwelcome. And that's why it's so incredibly important to me and to all of us who gather here in this place, what we're doing here is we seek to create a place of God's inclusive community, an unqualified welcome. We've been longing to live out this radical love, and God is longing for us to live it out as well and moving far ahead of us. So, time out in this. Anytime we talk about this kind of stuff, about loving the vulnerable and reaching out to the poor, we run the danger of this becoming like a real guilty kind of <laughs> sermon where, you know, I'm like a, a football coach at halftime who's really angry. and He's like, all right, we're going to get out there and we're going to love some vulnerable people or else you're going to run wind sprints on Monday until I get tired. You know, that's the message that we hear. But this message that God wants us to hear is so different than this because this isn't about doing these things in order to get religion or to earn God's favor. This is the year of God's favor, as Christ said. What James is saying is that these are the kinds of works that are produced when our lives truly find their identity and follow the God who moves toward the marginalized. These actions display the transformation that's going on inside of us. And this is so important. We do not behave in order to belong to this community. We are beloved and we belong, period. And so we're invited simply to begin to become who we were truly built to be, where we most belong as people who love like Christ, the Christ whose message is good news for the margins and the messy and the misunderstood the outcast and the excluded and those places in us where we are that too. We're invited to head into that direction and on our journey we just might encounter the God who's already there with our neighbors. So where do we even start? So James drops the mic in that verse and then he picks it back up (laughs) and he keeps going and he starts talking and I think there's three things that James talks about in this scripture that we can learn about how to step forward and to step in the direction of God. The first is this. Get to know the vulnerable. If we're to care for widows and orphans in their distress, then we need to know widows and orphans and the vulnerable. And we need to know their distress. To know the symptoms of their distress so that we can offer mercy and kindness and compassion to know the causes of their distress so that we can advocate and seek justice in our world. This takes opening our eyes and opening ourselves to our neighbor and to our community, to our world, to listen to their stories and to intentionally care, to make intention. Jesus spent most most of his time with the vulnerable and those on the outskirts. He built relationships and he built friendships. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and Jesus loved them. The research group, the Barna Group, that does sociological research, did a study about Christians a few years ago and said that, uh, that in a given week, only 2% of Christians spend intentional time with the poor. 
us who are following after the Jesus who spent like 98% of his time with those on the outskirts. If we want to follow God, we need to move in the direction that God is moving and begin to know our neighbor. Some of this is structural, right? Our networks and our relationships can sometimes be monochromatic and monocultural. But other times, it's just the way our world works and the way that our world has taught us to see and to value others and to ascribe value to others. And so James says this in in chapter 2, verse 2, right after that. He says, For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into the assembly, and I love that. In Greek, that's actually like two words. Um, gold ring wearing and shiny is what it says in Greek. So if a person who's gold ring wearing and shiny comes in and someone in dirty clothes comes in and you take notice of the one that's gold ring wearing and shiny and you say, have a seat here, please. While the one who is poor, you say, stand over there or sit on the floor. Have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil Thoughts. Wow, okay, you're getting extreme there, James. But my brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, he says, because the way of Christ, the way Christ sees our world, the value God ascribes to each of us is so different. The world looks at those on the, on the outside and thinks that they have nothing to offer, little of value to contribute, and they're drawn to the gold ring wearing shiny folks. And instead of being neighbors to the outcast, they move to other neighborhoods. But God values all people, and especially those on the outside, immeasurably. God knows that all people are of sacred worth, have sacred worth to offer, including you and me, and those we pass on the street, and those we meet at the checkout counter. And God moves toward them and invites us to come along, to know and to love our neighbors. It begins with opening our eyes to those in front of us to sit down at the cafeteria table, at the break table, to invite our neighbor over for dinner or out for coffee, to go to the meeting, to connect with those across our comfort zone lines, and to listen. So early on in the journey of Open, um, I was talking with a friend before we started this project about ministry with the marginalized here in Denton. And I was talking about, you know, our dreams and our hopes and the things that we were going to do to love our neighbor. And, uh, and she stopped me and she said, you know, maybe, maybe you should ask your neighbor, how can we love you? What would it look like for us to love you as our neighbor? And then just listen to what they have to say. And I thought, that's a better idea. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas, but they're very rarely the best ones. So we decided to do that. We've been trying our best to sit and to engage and to encounter and to talk and to listen to our community, to make time to ask that question of those in our world who are vulnerable, those who are often excluded by the culture. One of the conversations that we had early on was with the Muslim community here in Denton. We asked, you know, how can we love you? How can we connect with you? And their answer was, get to know us. Get to know us. And so we've been to the, the mosque for a day of connection and community and shared a meal and we've prayed together and prayed for each other and we're working on more plans for this in the future because getting to know our neighbors helps us see the immeasurable value that the world often overlooks. It helps us to see things like God does. So the second thing is this. Not only get to know our neighbors, but get to know our own vulnerability. 
Because this amazing thing that happens when we get to know the vulnerable and the poor around us is that we begin to recognize in the reflection our own vulnerability and our own poverty. When we open our eyes to those around us, we see more clearly our shared humanity, our shared need, our shared hopes and joys, our shared dumb jokes that make all of us laugh, and the shared grace by which any of us stand. And so James, after he lays out the picture of what true religion in 127 is, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled is to care for the orphans and the widows. And then he offers us the opposite of that in the very next verse. My brothers and sisters, with those acts of favoritism, do you really, are you really doing this? Favoritism. (laughs) Making distinctions between people, and it's especially egregious when we're the ones who are included, those who are like us and ourselves, when we show favoritism, even unbeknownst to ourselves and our privilege, that is antithetical to the way of Christ. Because if Jesus came to rescue all, (laughs) then our neighbor is included in all, and we are too, in our need, in our dependence, in our own need for God. And when we come to know that, when God meets us in our vulnerability, we begin to know the God that is bigger than our need, whose power and love are our heart's true home, the place where we truly belong. And we begin to get to know what that God of all people is like, know our purpose and know the true religion we are built to walk in. We begin to experience the bigger than us purpose we are built to know. We might not know what Jesus would drive, but we know who Jesus would love. We know that we're included, and so are our neighbors. So the last thing, I think, to learn from this is simply the call to action, to love the vulnerable. We've gotten to know the vulnerable, and we've gotten to know ourself. We can begin to love the vulnerable like ourself, just like God does. And so what is love? (laughs) That was one of those epic questions that I debated in high school. Um, I don't know, but here's love in action. This is what love in action looks like. Love is the, uh, the act of offering what we have for the sake of another, for the need of another person, the act of moving ourselves in their direction. And so there's a simple but powerful question that helps us ask this, that love in action Asks. It helps us know how to act and love and care for others, especially in their distress. And it's this simple question. What can I do to help you? What can I do to help? What can I do? What do I have? What am I good at? What action can I take? What do I have that I can help you in your Situation because this places us in a place where we are offering ourselves to those around us. And when we get to know our neighbor and we get to know our shared humanity, this question wells up inside us. But the amazing thing that I've seen over and over and over about who our God is is that when we begin to ask this question and listen and seek, when we ask this question long enough, our creative, loving God will inspire you with a creative, loving answer, a path, an action to take, and then it's up to us to do it, to walk in the direction 
that God is moving and to love in action. And when we do, this amazing thing happens <laughs> because there's nothing in the world like taking that I, that me, and letting it be used by God to help someone else. Because that means that who you are and what you are and what you have, God knows and loves and values and wants to use for the sake of others because you know if God worked through me, you know, even silly me to love my neighbor, then God is not a category or a theory or some high school philosophical debate. God is alive. God knows your name, knows your neighbor's name, cares for your neighbor, especially in their distress, values you enough, has purpose for you enough to use you to help. And you'll experience that God is alive and that love is a powerful, powerful thing. And that is what we're seeking after. And if religion is seeking after God, then pure religion it's in that loving of the vulnerable that so often we find God. Because that's the direction and the places where we find God is moving. But James wasn't the only one in Scripture who describes religion in this particular way. Uh, there's this passage in, in Isaiah chapter 58 that's incredible and amazing. That whole chapter is beautiful. And if you have a text or if you have the internet at home, I would just invite you to go and read it. But I just want to read this a section of this scripture over us to hear today. So this was a, a group of, of people in Israel who were seeking after God, and they felt like they weren't getting anywhere. And this is what they asked of God, and this is God's incredible response to them. They ask, why do we fast, but you do not see? Why do we humble ourselves, but you do not notice? And then through the prophet, God responds in this way. Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day, on your Sabbath day, and you oppress all your workers. Is this, is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it just a day to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lay in sackcloth and ashes, like to take this whole thing real seriously? Will you call that a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And then God goes on and says, Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see them naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin, from your own brother and sister? When you do this, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and God will say, hear I am. When we love our neighbor, when we move in the direction that God is moving, when we break the bonds of oppression and care for the vulnerable and welcome all, so often we look up and we see the face of God saying, here, I am. So I was thinking about some ways that I've seen God show up through the loving of neighbors. And my mind this week went back to a story that I remember seeing a few years ago from a pride parade in Chicago. Um, there was a group of Jesus-following students in Chicago. Uh, one of them was a guy named Andrew Marin, and he and some of his friends were just asking that question, in our world, how can 
we help? What can we do to help? And creatively, they felt compelled by God to go and love their neighbor, to build some bridges in our world in a powerful and real way. And so they went to this parade, and they carried signs. (laughs) These signs that said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that the church has treated you. I'm sorry. And if you've been by the free speech zone in UNT, you can just imagine some of the other signs that were around and the bullhorns that were around that particular day. But these college friends wanted to be a different voice. They wanted to move in the direction of the loving God and be a voice of healing and love and reconciliation and care for the marginalized. And the responses that they got from those signs were powerful. But there was one in particular that just moved and stirred me. So Andrew tells the story of that day, and he says there was a man that was on a float that was going by who saw their sign and yelled out, you know, jokingly, you don't have to be sorry, you know, have pride. And Andrew said, I pointed to our signs, and I watched him as he started to read them again. He said it clicked. He got it. He stopped dancing, and he looked at us all standing there. This look of utter seriousness came across his face, and as the float passed us, he jumped off of it, and he ran toward us. And he hugged me with one of those infinitely powerful hugs, and he whispered, thank you. And in that picture is the picture of the power of the love of God who loves the vulnerable in their need, who reconciles, who unites, who loves, who says, here I am. And I was sharing that story with Crystal this week, and she remembered it too. I was talking about how beautiful it was that these college kids followed God into that moment. And she said, yes, that was beautiful. But it was also beautiful how the man on the float followed God into that moment too, who ran after God. These vulnerable college guys were there asking for forgiveness, and he followed God to give it to them. And in his vulnerability, he gave love also. They both followed the movement of God into that embrace. And in their shared vulnerability and reconciliation, Crystal said, I so see God. And we don't bring God to the world through our love. We follow our loving God to the places where God already is. When through our love we meet the face of God, when we love our neighbor, just like God does. As Isaiah says, light breaks forth like the dawn, and there is God moving toward us, meeting us halfway, saying, here I am. So open, brothers and sisters, kin on this journey. Whatever else we do, let's let our religious practice be one that moves in the direction that God is moving, that cares for the vulnerable, especially in their distress, and follows Christ wherever Christ is headed in our world. And when we do, carrying our own vulnerability with us, we'll find God moving toward us 
and in us and through us and among us as well. Let's follow the direction our God of love is moving in God's work truck. Let's pray together. Gracious, awesome, loving God, it's incredible to think about what your kind of love looks like in our real life, your boundary-breaking, door-opening, all-welcoming love. So God, we, as we seek you, God, help us to remember what it is that you're seeking, that we would love mercy, God, love kindness, seek justice, and walk humbly with you and in our world, and especially help us to see things like you do. God, the God who hears the hurting, who moves toward the margins, God, help us to do that too. But in the midst of that, God, we stand before you in the same way, with places in us that are messy, God, with places in us that are vulnerable. And what an incredible thing that we find. You're moving toward us as well. God, help us to shout your incredible love from the highest mountain, live it out in our world, and walk the path that you're leading us. We pray this in your incredible name. Amen.